0: to say to each one of you greetings, in the name of our Master that has called us into an everlasting light and hope, that we have a message of hope um, to this lost and dying world around us. And um, as I share this evening and tomorrow morning, um, I come to you as a needy creature, not someone that has all the answers. Not someone that is, uh, I'm not a super saint. I'm one of the guys, okay? I'm just one of the guys that is called to preach the gospel. And um, I want to share my testimony that I'm, that God, who is rich in His mercy, reached down and pulled me out of my place And for that, I am amazingly thankful. And I hope that each one of you are too, because even though you may have grown up in Christian circles in a Christian home, I want you to recognize that um, we are all sinners that need the salvation of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so I want to share just a little bit of background. First off, I did not grow up in the Mennonite church, and so some of you all Keto and Colleen probably know that. I don't know if anyone else knows that, but um, I didn't grow up in the midnight church. I grew up in the church of the brethren in Bridgewater. There now I have the title <laughs> showalter, so I have the pedigree, but I don't have the um, actual in-house teaching that you all, most of you all, have. Uh, everybody here, um, maybe I should say. How many of you all did not grow up in a Mennonite Christian home? Okay, one, two, three. Great. Um, can I ask you what your background is? Sorry. Amish. Um, um, okay. And so you grew up in that. Very similar to my circumstance. Yes. I someone over here? I saw another hand. Yes. Okay. God bless you. And so you're from this area, community. Okay. And what is your home area then? Okay, so you are from mm-hmm. Interesting. Someone else. I thought I saw a couple more hands here. Not be too bachelor. Um, I am currently teaching in our Christian school there at, uh, at Berea, and I've been there for I don't know, fourteen something like that since two thousand six seven. I took a little bit of a break. Okay, so just a little bit of a background. My dad would have grown up like yours. My dad would have grown up in the Old Order Mennonite Church. And there were some church troubles going on in the late 40s, early 50s. My dad was a 31 model. And so he was in his teen years during some of this church trouble sometimes. The Korean conflict also sprang into being just around that time in 1950. And so there was a draft. My father was called before the draft board and he was actually drafted. Now, being that he grew up in a Mennonite home, in a Christian home, they went to the local judge, who my grandfather knew very well, and they made an appeal to the judge. And so they had this lengthy court session, and uh, my dad was finally granted 1W status, or CO status, and was able to go into 1W service in Northtown, Pennsylvania. And I say this respectfully, okay? So I want y'all to hear me out. My dad, even though he grew up in the teaching, from what I understand, my dad never really embraced faith in Christ. And my dad struggled with alcohol all of basically all of his life, all of the years that I knew, um, except for some of the latter years where he was not able to actually get out. Um, Dad struggled with alcohol, he struggled with tobacco use, he struggled with uh, language. And so, I grew up in that setting. And so, what do boys do when they grow up in that setting? Well, they usually follow just what Dad does. Well, one thing was important to Dad, and that was that we go to church. And so, we went to church every Sunday. We were very active in our church. We were very active in youth group and uh, youth club. We did a lot of... We did a lot of things with our church. But, you know, it wasn't a life-changing effect. However, Dad's background had an effect on him. And he had some principles instilled in his being. Even though he didn't completely embrace them himself, he taught them in our home. My mom grew up basically unchurched. Her dad was also an alcoholic. Her mom had to work outside of the home to try to make ends meet, and so mom wanted to make some things, wanted to make some better choices in life. She uh, um, moved to Harrisonburg, which is near Bridgewater there, studied nursing, and she was a registered nurse, and when dad came home from 1W service, uh, they met, and then there were three boys. My older brother, myself, and a younger brother, we are... All professing Christians, I am basically the only one that lives a conservative, if you want to call it that, conservative Christian lifestyle. Do I question their Christianity? No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go there because God is the judge of that. I became a Christian when I was 17, when I was in public school. And I started searching for a biblical church. What I was going to, it just didn't seem to have the meat and potatoes that I was looking for, that I needed. And so, being that a lot of my dad's family was in the Old Order Church, I had a lot of cousins, a lot of friends that were in the Mennonite Church. And so, through those connections, I started getting involved with the young people playing softball, volleyball, going to some of the things, different things like that. Through that, I met my wife's family, and um, wow, what a blessing. What a journey. So if, um, if you're following God, grab a hold of your seat and hang on, because it's a wonderful ride. And I would just say, you know, it's not without its troubles. It's not without its flaws. It's not without its difficulties. However, God's way is the only way. And we need to rest in that and grab a hold of that. I don't know what else to say. We have seven children. Our youngest, Renee, is with us this evening. Uh, we have three children that are married. We've got three that we're working on getting married. They, they haven't taken the bait yet. I'm not sure what the deal is, but we're still working on them, praying for them. Um... And Renee's got a few more years, so we'll keep her. She's a keeper. Okay. God's design for the family. And I hope you understand, I'm not here sharing with you that I know exactly what God wants for you. I'm going to share my perspective. I'm going to share some of my thoughts. And if some comment that I share here this evening or tomorrow morning strikes home with you, to God be the glory. If by some encouragement you are spurred on to follow God more faithfully, more carefully, to God be the glory. Because that is my desire that we as Christian people love Him more and more. So... I don't know your all church very well. I know a couple of people here, and so I'm blessed with the ones that I do know. But as I observe churches, I'm not pointing at your all church in particular, so um, I want to be able to free, freely speak, and I'm not typically or intentionally aiming at anyone in particular. But as I observe churches, as I observe communities, as I observe homes, And we see in the world around us, we can see it so very vividly and clearly, we see men that are turning away from leading. We see men that are turning away from leading the home. We see men that are turning away from leading the church, leading the community, basically from leading anything except for my desire, my hobby, my wants, my wishes. Men are turning towards that. And I think we can see that very, very clearly. Why are they doing that? Maybe because it takes too much time. It takes too much effort. Maybe that my wife can do it better. And I know that some of you all maybe are not married. However, one day, young men, if the Lord tarries and He leads you into a marriage relationship, you will be leading a home. And for those of you that are married, it's time to step up to the plate. It's time to get real with God, with your wife, with other people in your church and community, and step up to the plate and do what God has called you to do, and that is to lead out. Lead out spiritually, personally first. You know, sometimes we default to our wives because they can do a better job. (laughs) Or we think they can. And guess what? (laughs) In most cases, they probably can in some areas do a better job than you. However, that does not, that default should not give you the license just to toss everything over into her lap because she can do a better job. Because I I can assure you, my wife does a lot better job in many areas of life. And that challenges me. But regardless of this fact, we are supposed to leave. Regardless of that fact. It is God's design. It is His proper order of headship. And Satan is making inroads into our homes, into our churches, into our communities, and into the world. And we can see that. Can't you see that? Because men are choosing not to leave, they're falling down on the job. And so we need to be men of integrity. Men that are going to be godly leaders in our homes. But we need to start first here. We need to start first in our hearts. We need to be the first one to lead out. We have been given an opportunity, people. And I hope you all understand that. And I'm not just speaking about the men in this instance, but I'm saying for all of us, We have an opportunity in Jesus Christ to be called His sons and daughters. And that is personal. That is not just because your dad or your mom did it. That's not because you're you're a son or daughter of a preacher. That's not because you went to church all the time. It's because of a personal relationship with you and Jesus Christ. That's where it must start. Romans eight fourteen. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's not talking just about men. That's talking about men and women. But it also says in Revelation 3, 21, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my Father in His throne. Jesus Christ sitting by the right hand of God, is calling each one of us out of the married clay that He pulled me out of, that you need to be pulled out of, or if you've already been pulled out of there, He is calling each one of us to come and sit with Him in heavenly places and to be called sons and daughters of Him. And men, we are the ones that need to lead out in this area of life. I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter two. In the beginning, in the beginning. As we look at Genesis chapter two starting at verse seven, we see creation. We see mankind. We see this human being that was created. And you know what is really amazing to me is that God got his hands dirty on this day of creation. And we don't really think about that. But it says, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Now, do you think He just a man formed? No. It says He formed. He did something. To me, it was a physical act of pulling that dirt up and stretching out that arm, stretching out those legs, putting a head on there. And all of, that, all of that physical being. Can't you imagine that? Think about when you play with Play-Doh and you roll that little trunk out and then you roll, stick a little leg on there and another little leg. Now, I don't think God was playing when He created this being. I think God had a purpose. I think God had a law. I think God had a reason for doing this. And it says the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted the garden eastward in Eden. And there He put the man whom He had formed and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the the sight and good for food and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now in verse, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Think about this. God forming this being and breathing into Him the breath of life. Can you imagine this? corpse, this physical body laying on the ground, gray in color, maybe just a little pink, but when you see someone laying corpse, they don't have much color. And I can just see God finishing forming Adam and leaning over him and breathing into him like resuscitation. But when this to life. Let's bring this out to life. And I can just imagine God putting his mouth on Adam's mouth and breathing into that being. And I can see his chest. And then the eyes come open. And then he sits up. And then he stands up. And he stretches a little bit. But God created a being and he put him in the garden, and then he gave him some instruction. He commanded the man saying. And it was a very simple, straightforward, easy to follow command. And what was Adam supposed to do? What was Adam supposed to do? Simply obey. Simply obey. And you know, well, that's what God is asking for each one of us today. He's asking us to simply obey. And God's Word, God's promises, God's commands are not that hard. If we can only get a grasp on the fact that the commands are there for the safekeeping of your heart, my heart, it's not a hard work to do. It is simply obeying. Adam was given charge to be a keeper of this garden. And he could pick and eat from any of the trees except for one. And then we look at verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every... Excuse me. (laughs) Every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living tr- creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help me for him. Let's of this account. God created Adam, and then he was like, well. He needs some companionship. Let's make a rooster. That's like a cow. But you know, none of them were suitable. None of them were suitable. And God and Adam gave names to all the cattle, cattle. And to all the fowl there, and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found adult meat. Just says God created Adam to be in fellowship with himself, God and Adam. God knew that Adam needed some type of fellowship. He knew that men don't do well by themselves. And I can put you in. My wife, like I said earlier, has been a huge help in my life. And I hope that I've been helpful to her in some areas as well. We need companionship. We need someone that can help us, to encourage us, to respect us, to make us feel like a man. We need that. But to be respected, what do we need to do? We need to be respectable. We need to be respectable. Be a leader. Be the godly person that God created you as a man to be. That's what God is calling you to do. He is calling you to be the godly person to be respectable. So that you will be respected. And we see that after God brought all these animals, none were found suitable. Verse 21. Genesis 2. was Adam's perfect helpmate. It was the suitable creature that God, that Adam needed. And then God brought this beautiful creature to Adam for a helpmate, to be his wife, to be his companion, one that would help him in many ways. And what also I find really encouraging and ironic is this. Men, we like to have our arms around our wife. And that puts her right back where God took her away. Took her out of our being, out of our body. Right next to our heart. Right next to our stomach. They say the way to a man farts through his stomach. I've heard that before. Well, when you put your arm around her, she's right back where she belongs. I say that tongue-in-cheek. It is a beautiful picture. Think about it. She is where she belongs right back beside you. Close. But when God brought Eve to Adam, the one that would be his companion, that would be his helpmate, He did not bring him her to him to be his boss, to be his leader. He did not bring her to him to tell him what to do to raise their children alone, to not have family devotion because He was gone all the time. He did not bring her to Him to assume all the responsibilities. Oh, I'm just too busy. I'm just too... Uh, uh, I, I'm not very good at this. But she was to be His support. She was to be His cheerleader, His encourager. His behind-the-scenes person. She was to be His deaconess to meet those physical needs and encourage Him. She was to be His aid, His helper. Are we fulfilling that design that God created? Are we personally fulfilling that design? Because it's not my design. It's not my interpretation. It is God's design. And you can read it black and white. Are we and I fulfilling that? Mm-hmm. I want you to turn with me, if you will, to First Corinthians. Very, very familiar passages here. Mm-hmm. First Corinthians chapter 11. Mm-hmm. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was talking about the church the proper way of worship, proper headship order. It wasn't some man's design. It wasn't some man's interpretation. But it was God's design for the church and for families. <clears throat> and it is a headship order from the very beginning, and we need to get a hold of that, that it's not just a church thing, but it is a headship order from creation. And it says in First Corinthians 11, verse 7, for a man indeed ought not cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man Without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but in all things of God. What is this saying? Man was created first. He was created second. It is God's headship order. God the Father, Jesus the Son, man, woman, child. It's God's order. It's God's design. It's not our interpretation, or our thoughts, but it is what God's Word teaches us. Adam was created and given a direct charge. He was given a direct command from God. That command still stands for us today, as men. Adam was to be a keeper. He was to be a leader. He was to instruct. He was to be an example. He was supposed to maintain that proper headship order. He was the man. Think about it. He was the man to lead out. And if you recall, as we read earlier, Adam was created, and then he was placed in the garden and given a command. Right? It, he was created, he was placed in the garden, and he was given a command. Then, God created the beasts, And then He created the woman and brought her to Him. Did God tell Adam again, you need to do this and this and this and this? I don't think so. I think God told him one time. And who was supposed to relay that message to Eve? That of all the trees, all the trees you can partake of except for this one, and I'm convinced that Adam may have shared that command with Eve because she knew something about that tree. But she also desired something. back She also saw that that tree was desirable. And we're not going to get into that. But anyway... I see in that garden experience Adam falling down on the job. Because Eve partook, she picked and partook and engaged to him, and it says that he was with her. And my picture is Adam falling down on the job. In the garden experience. But in that experience, he also told Adam, and we see this in the New Testament, that He was to leave and cleave. We see that there in the Old Testament. And this leave and cleave means to be bound, to be welded together, inseparable bond between male and female, created by Him for one another, husband and wife, one flesh, a great mystery. It's something we don't really understand, and yet... A mystery unraveled God's way is a perfect unit. It can be absolutely beautiful done God's way. And I had someone come and share with me that if you take modeling clay, and you know I was talking about building that trunk and putting those legs on there. If you take modeling clay and you take a blue modeling clay and take that in the shape of a man, And you take pink modeling clay and you take that in the shape of a woman and you put those two side by side. Individuals. As you sit there, I see individuals. But the mystery is, one flesh. Bonded, welded, glued together. Inseparable. And someone shared with me, if you would take that blue man and that pink form of a woman, and you would put those two together and match those two modeling plays together, they would be inseparable. You could never get all of the pink out of the blue and you could never get all of the blue out of the pink because it would be bonded. It would be meshed together. And I think that's what God wants for each one of us. He wants us to be together, inseparable, bonded together. God gave Adam a special charge. He was to leave and cleave, he was to be one flesh. He was to love. Ephesians chapter 5. Turn there with me if you would quickly. Ephesians <clears throat> chapter 5. Verse 28 says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. We were building up our poultry house many years ago. My cousins and I were working on the ridge cap. And on that ridge cap, right now, this was back in the days where you drove nails instead of running screws in. Okay? And so on that ridge cap, you would have a sheet of metal that came up, another sheet of metal that came over top. Sometimes that ridge cap would come over top of that double seam. And then another ridge cap would come over on that. And so you'd have four layers of, of metal to drive that nail through. Now, we didn't stop there on that ridge cap and just aim for our thumbs. Boom. No. That's painful. You don't do that. We wouldn't even consider doing that. And I remember my cousin, we were up there and we were kind of racing down this ridge cap and, and my one cousin said, I don't hit my farm. And it wasn't ten strikes later. And said, oh. And that thing, It was painful, but He didn't do it intentionally. We would have never done that intentionally. And we read this, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. We wouldn't intentionally cause pain on our own physical being. And yet sometimes in our humanity, in our weaknesses, in our sinful self, we cause that pain. So those we love the most, I've heard the phrase in my life, those you love the most, you hurt the most. Why is that? Probably because those are the ones that are the closest ones to us. And the real you, the real me, is in that relationship. But it doesn't have to continue to hurt. Because we do fail, and there's no question about it. And if you don't fail, please tell me how you do it. I'm interested. But when we do fail, there is a very, very simple remedy. And that is, I am really sorry. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh. But nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That modeling place, matched together, inseparable. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one Of you, in particular, so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Reverence. That's a difficult thing. And yet it's God's design, not my interpretation, not my thoughts, but God's design. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. God told him not to do that. We look at that and we say, "That's dumb." God told him not to do that. Well, guess what? How many decisions do you and I make today that God tells us not to do? Dumb, and we choose to do it because my desire, my will, my wants, my wishes. We can see. Other people. We can see, it's easy to see the faults of other people. You look out in the crowd or you look out over people and you're like, why are they doing that? And people are looking at you saying, why are they doing that? We are like that. And we often can't see the woods or the trees. We can't see our own shortcomings. And that's why we need one another. That's why we need brotherhood. That's why we need husband and wife relationships. That's why we need integrity in speaking the truth in love. Because that's what God tells us to do. And when we can see ourselves the way other people see us, the way God sees us, and we can recognize a need, a failure, a sin in our lives, when we can recognize that and then make amends. That's what the Christian life. It's all about making peace with God and with your fellow man, with your husband and wife, with your children. We see this creation account and we see the downfall of the human race, the entrance of sin into the world, and the effects that that has caused is painful. And we look at the world we live in today and it is a mess. And yet, I hope that you have peace in your heart. Even in the wreck of the world that we live in, I hope that you have peace in your heart through Jesus Christ. Because that's worth that. And if that takes confession and repentance, then that's what we need to do to get back in that right relationship with God. We see the effect that sin has caused on the human race. This disobedience This lack of leadership. This absence of submission. This default of fear of the Holy God. It has been the source of problems in marriages, in homes, in the churches, in our communities, and in the world. I read an article a while ago About a young man, 19 years old, walked into a setting and gunned down more than two dozen, and this had been a number of years ago, two dozen students in the school where he had been, been a former student. This young man was an outcast. He was a loner. He was someone that wanted and needed attention. He was someone that needed some discipline and some order in his life. His parents had passed away, his father several, several years earlier from a heart attack, and then his mother recently, or sometime after that from pneumonia. And my question is, who were this man's, who who was this young man's mentors, guides in life? Where were the men that were supposed to lead out in helping this young man adjust to this? Being an outcast or being a loner, someone to encourage him. But better yet, who are you encouraging, helping, reaching out? It doesn't have to be a young man. Young ladies, ladies. It can be another young lady person. Who are we going to reach out to? We need to be men that give leadership, men and women, that give leadership, love, and guidance. We need to give discipline, protection, something to look up to, something to respect. Our leadership, men or lack of it, has an eternal effect on someone. Mostly it has an eternal effect on your children. But a lot of times, our leadership or lack of leadership is going to have an effect on many people around us. And we hear that song or sing that song, Somebody follows you. Okay? Truly. Truly. Somebody's following you. Somebody's watching you. Somebody is imitating you. And when we fall down on the job, often it has eternal effect on someone. And I want to go back to my background. I grew up where Dad would come home from carrying the mail on a hot summer day, and he had... Um, a refrigerator out in the shop, out in the garage. And often there was a six or a 12-pack of beer in the garage. And every once in a while, during the hot summer days, Dad would go get a cold one. That was normal for us. That was normal. I didn't think anything about it. Well, we we had an electrician that came to our farm one day And he was doing some electrical work. And I was just a little tight. Six, seven, eight years old. I don't know. And they were out there working. And it was hot. And I thought, I'm going to do something nice for Dad. So I went into the shop and I grabbed two beers, And I headed for the barn where they were working. Well, my dad happened to step out of the building. And he saw me carrying these two beers toward them. And this one man was a religious person. And my dad knew that. And he said, oh, baby. I said, "We're, we're fine. Just take them back and put them in the fridge. You know, I'll never forget that. I was trying to be helpful and kind. And it was met with, we don't need it. I have never forgot that. But as, I, as an adult now, I see clearly what kind of embarrassment that would have been to my father. Somebody follows you. I was following my dad. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I didn't think it was wrong. I didn't know anything different. Do I now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> our, our leadership or lack of leadership is going to have an eternal fe- effect on someone. Is that your children? Is that your nieces, nephews? Is that the people that you go to school with? Is that the people that you work with? Is that someone that you rub shoulders with? And that's a sobering thought for me. For me, that's a sobering thought. Fellas, if we fall down on the job... Guess what happens? Almost always when we fall down on the job, the women are going to pick up the slack. It almost never fa- fails. It's just what they do naturally to try to be the help me. They will assume the job that we as irresponsible men don't maybe want to do or we let it slide. And so if a husband is lacking in discipline in the home, typically the wife is going to pick it up. If a man is lacking in leadership in the home, typically his wife is going to pick it up. Not many women are going to stand by and idly watch their home go to the toilet. They're going to do something about it. They're going to try to maintain. They're going to try to grab a hold to keep that as best as they possibly can. Not many women will stand idly by and watch their home go down because the men aren't proper leaders, proper providers, proper protectors, because appearance is everything to them. And when women assume the roles of men in the home, in the church, in the community, and in the nation, what do we see? Look around you. It's not that hard. And please don't misunderstand me. I love the female gender. They are God's design for us. I love my wife and what she does in our home. But when a, when a woman assumes the roles of men, the proper order of headship from creation is top-servant. It's thrown out of whack, And things usually go downhill fairly quickly. When a wife assumes a domineering or a leadership role in the home, I want y'all to think about this. And I, again, I'm not, I'm not aiming at anybody because I don't know you're all people. But when a wife assumes a leadership or domineering role in the home, often what happens, the girls pick it up, and the boys bug out. And that's not a blanket statement. But it's a fairly accurate statement. And that's not a statement for myself. It's a statement from a conversation with another brother that we had in our home. And you know, it's just like a light bulb came on. And I was like, wow. I never thought about that. Oh, if we can look around us, in our homes, in our communities, in our churches, we can see that thing, that very thing happening. We need to get back to God's design of men taking their proper leadership role. And I'm ta- when I say that the, the wife assumes this dominating her leadership position, that's not a woman problem. I hope you understand that. That is not a woman problem. That's a man problem. That's a man's lack of leadership problem because God set it up. And we need to follow His order. When these boys grow up in this type of topsy-turvy, they never get a proper view of God the Father because their Father has not taken his proper, rightful place in the home. And they don't know how to handle this upside-down view of authority. And this authority or this view of authority often affects them not only in the home, but it affects them in the school, it affects them with the law, it affects them in, in churches, It affects a lot of things because they tend to buck authority because they never understand it. Men, that's a sobering place for us as men, as leaders. Are we going to properly guide our homes in godliness? We need to be men that are willing to take time to be a man of God. We need to be men that are servants first. Servants of a holy God. We need to be men that are going to be godly leaders in our homes. Godly leaders in our churches. Godly leaders in the community and in the world. And I know we're not talking about politics. We're not talking about world leadership. We're talking about proper headship order. God's way. God's design. God's design for the family is for men to step up to the plate and to lead out in many of these areas. 1 Timothy 4, in closing, I want to share these couple of verses. 1 Timothy 4, verse 11. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in words. In conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which is given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hand of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. And then it says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, and continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself, and them that hear thee. Men, people are watching. They're listening. Are we going to be that godly man in our home, in our church, in our community, and in the world? Not. His glory. May that be our portion that we strive to give God the glory by leading out in godliness and proper of order. God bless you.